This is Michael Easley in Context. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. After all these years, I would have thought that all my fears were laid to rest. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. And I thought that all my struggles would be victories by now, but I confess that the mess is there. We are in studio today with Andrew Peterson. I'm looking at your website. It's great. It's andrew-peterson.com. You got it. Easy capizzi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> want folks to go over there and take a look at Andrew's work. Andrew, um, I want to read something you have written. I'm pretty emotional, so I was always looking for something that would evoke some strong feeling, whether loneliness, sadness, joy, or peace. A great song could transport me. As a teen, I fell in love with songwriting because I was fascinated by the possibility of composing something that might move someone else. It wasn't until later I heard Rich Mullins' music and understood that there was something more important than just emotion. There was truth and poetry and longing. A song can help you to feel loved, less alone, more awake. What other art can change your life in four minutes? That's that's profound to me. I mean, I love it. In four minutes. And usually it's less than that, isn't it? Well, if it's a radio <laughs> hit, <laughs> I don't write many of those, so mine are usually four minutes or more. Yeah, How it is old were you thing. when you wrote that? Uh, that was about a month ago. Really? Yeah. That recently? Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, that's all stuff that kind of like, it was, in, it was for an interview um, for the new record, yeah. That I was I somebody it. was asking me, you know, what what got me into this thing, and um, but we having just we just released this best of record called After All These Years, and it was interesting because I had to go back and look at um, the last fifteen or twenty years of my life because the the kind of songwriting that I do tends to be kind of autobiographical stuff, mm-hmm. and so. So I was, it was like reading old journal entries, you know, and I don't sit around listening to my old music all the time. And so it was weird to kind of go, oh yeah, I remember where I was when I wrote that and ouch, mm-hmm. that was a miserable season, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of seeing the thread that wound its way through all of it. So, How old is Andrew when he first starts playing an instrument? I was in, I was at church camp in like eighth grade maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, I had learned to play a little, I, I learned to play uh, a Richard Mark song on the piano and a few journey songs because I, my plan, like I was, I was not an athletic kid. And so I thought if I can play some, some songs, then the girls will notice me. Uh, and I remember that it worked. I was playing the piano in the gym and, uh, you know, there's a crowd of people around me and I felt like the king of the world until mm. on the other side of the gym, another guy had a guitar and they all turned and followed you the guitar toast. player outside yeah. into the soccer field. So I, I, I had to join forces. Absolutely. So anyway, yeah, I was, it was high school and it was, uh, I'm, I'm the, nobody else in my family played music or anything. And it was just, I was drawn to it and understood a little bit of how it worked right off the bat. And so, uh, became obsessed for most of high school. Did you, uh, take lessons? Not really. I, I took some piano lessons, but I, I didn't really play until I quit. You didn't really play until you quit. Which I don't necessarily recommend. It's not a virtuous thing. <laughs> Every parent has been paying for <laughs> piano lessons right now. Just hate you. Uh, yeah. That's the, like I, my daughter plays. She's really talented, uh, re- deeply talented. She's 12 years old um, and sings with me sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we, we play together. And um, and sometimes I see her talent as uh, a great weakness because she doesn't think she has to work as hard. Yeah. Uh, she kind of is like, oh, yeah, I got this thing. And she'll go and she leans on it. And I see how it doesn't always work. 
and I'm like, ooh, I know how that feels. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like um, relying on your talent, which is what I was doing in high school, by not really being diligent about learning how to play was was not a good thing. When in this uh, trajectory did you decide, okay, now I am uh, going to do this as a lifestyle. I'm going to go all in and try to be an artist. It would have been the year after high school. Uh, I took what we call now a gap year. Back when I did it, there wasn't a name for it. It was loser year uh, when I was a kid. And so all my friends were going to co- going to college, and I was like, I had no idea. You were hanging idea. out playing the guitar. Yeah, really. I didn't know what to do. I was working at the local grocery store and living at home and trying to figure out what to do with my life. And um, so anyway, so I joined a band, and it was a terrible rock band. And uh, But that, that kind of lost season between high school and college was when I encountered... Uh, Rich Mullins music like you read a minute ago and that was it just gave me uh, uh, a language I I just went oh music can do this and so you know it didn't take me long to to fall into so I went to Bible college by accident right after that because I I was directionless but I had a friend after the gap year you go to Bible college yeah really it was the cheapest option there was no math requirement (laughs) no science no balance yeah exactly so I I was in and I loved it and I got married my sophomore year and wrote put out my first record uh, my junior year which is 19 1995 or 6 or something like that so Anyway, yeah, it was just, it was a slow progression of realizations, I think, is what it was. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, and then as soon as I got out of college, um, we moved straight to Nashville. And been that was 17 years ago. 17 years. Wow. Married and how many children? Three kids. Three kids. Married 20 years and next month. Man, you play young. Yeah. <laughs> I highly <laughs> recommend it, man. I, like, it was nice to get, like, I got married when I was 20 and, and, uh. I, I told my kids just the other day, I was like, if you if you guys meet somebody who's awesome and loves Jesus and you're 19, go for it. We'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be hard and miserable, but it's going to be hard and miserable anyway. anyway yeah, so. pretty much anyway. Yeah. Anyway. On that cheery note, yeah, uh, let, let's talk about integrating faith and art. Um, a huge subject, obviously. Yeah. But uh, left brain, right brain, folks, we look at this very differently. Uh, you have a gift, you would say. I mean, or you're a gifted musician. I'm gifted at something. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. And you put a language to it. Um, how do you integrate your faith with that, Andrew? That's something that I I think I do kind of intuitively. So it's hard to figure out exactly how to articulate it. I think I think it's that um, there's a Frederick Buechner quote uh, that that resonated with me when I was in uh, right after college. I think is when I read it for the first time, where he said, "The place God calls you to is the place where you're." deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet the place god calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet and uh and for me that deep gladness has always been not just art it's not just just like uh the way music makes me feel it's the fact that music creates an avenue between two people Mm -hmm. it's that uh art is um is like kind of a uh deep calling unto deep as far as our loneliness goes you know and you can feel terribly alone and and afraid and then some work of art expresses that and suddenly you're connected with this with another heart and so if that's married to the gospel um then uh then powerful things happen and so so the deep gladness that i that i feel is when um some song i wrote or story i wrote or whatever it may be um, is a source of comfort to somebody else uh, that, that my own uh, 
sorrow ends up being comfort to someone else's sorrow just by the fact that they're not alone in it anymore, which is a tiny little picture of what the incarnation means to right. me, the, the, the God with us thing. is is The older I get, more and more profound that, um, you know, Christianity is unique in that our God is familiar with our suffering, with our sorrow. He knows us. And so I think art can do the same thing. It can kind of wade into someone else's sadness or sorrow or joy, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so that's what makes that's what provides my deep gladness, and I think um, answers you know some of the hunger in the world. So, having f- found that, um, kind of fallen into it, uh, when I like I said when I heard Rich Mullins' music, it, it gave me a, a language for what that could might look like because it had happened to me through his songs. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm not long after that, I basically asked God if He would let me do that with whatever gifts he'd given me. When you sit down to write, and I presume you write all the time? No, I, I avoid it as much as possible. Really? Yeah. I'm, really? Yeah. So, so, it's, so it's a labor for you. It's not a, I can't wait to get up and write today. Yes, very much so. Um, and it, that doesn't mean it's not satisfying when right. I do it. It just means that I, um, I have a lot of other irons in the fire, you know, and you know, I have to come at it slant. So whatever the thing I'm supposed to be doing isn't very fun. So if I'm supposed to be writing for a new record, I really want to work on my new book. <laughs> so I usually have like three plates spinning and I bounce from, from thing to thing to thing. So, What was the easiest song you ever wrote? Oh, man. Probably, I mean, one of the easiest ones was Dancing in the Minefields, which is uh, one of the more popular of the recent ones. Um, but... uh yeah, it's, it's very seldom do you get to write a whole song in one city, and that that one I wrote under a lot of pressure <laughs> because I was trying to get out of trouble with my wife, and uh, and so thank goodness it worked. <laughs> did she like it? That's the main question. She did like okay, it. Yes. Okay. Hardest song to put together. Oh man, that, that to me that's all the rest of them. <laughs> Yeah, there's no way to answer. They're all hard, and that all comes in different ways. Uh, there's been a few times. There's a song called um, "Don't You Want to Thank Someone," which is on on this Best of record. Was also on my last album. That that came very easily. That I I heard it. This sounds really weird. I can't really explain it. But I dreamed the song. I mm-hmm. woke up in the morning and I thought I heard my kid the melody drifting from my children's rooms uh, down the hallway. And I ran downstairs and banged out the the chorus and had by the end of the day had written the whole thing and um so those things are just very very rare it feels very much like a gift uh where the rest of the time it's like calling your buddies hey man i can't get you know i need help on this verse uh or you know shelving it for a year and coming back to it and mm-hmm. trying to find your way to it so we were talking to uh, david arms a painter oh yeah very unusual in that he uh paints one painting at a time and completes it hmm. no unfinished works and I was sharing with him, uh, authors, and I presume songwriters, uh, a litany of unfinished work compared to it. Um, th- th- is that a tension for you? No, I, 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 not at all. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I don't mind it a bit. Like the, the, the creative process is just kind of messy for most people. Um, I think David is probably pretty unique in that way. He's unique in a lot of ways. He like, is unique. He didn't pick it up till he was, what, right. 40 or and something? Later in life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's remarkable at what he does. Um, but, uh, yeah, to me, it's, it's kind of... My, my sister-in-law is an author, 
and she told me uh, uh, my brother and sister-in-law live next door and she's an artist and a painter and an author and, and I walked into her studio and uh, she was telling my brother I need a bigger table I need a bigger space for my mess because uh, the bigger the mess is the more inspired she is okay isn't that interesting so yeah she needs a giant eight foot an right. additional Working eight foot mess. table and uh, I feel a little bit like that. Like there's there's something f- kind of fun about going. Now what thing am I going to work on next? It's, it could be this or this or this. You know. So so, so you're a messy person. I'm pretty messy. My mm-hmm. wife would would definitely agree with that. Uh-huh. And you've got one child probably like you and one antithetical. <laughs> well, you know how it is. All, all your children are are like you in ways. But yes, there's definitely my middle child is the the uh, the one that that is most like me in that way i think he's uh he's the one that every monday morning he's in a panic because he can't find his homework he's that kid uh, so uh, let's don't talk about homework I still <laughs> have nightmares about homework um when you sit down with a piano or your guitar um how do you start you're gonna write a song is it in your head is it or is it words on paper is it a melody uh it's it's usually start well I, I steal all these quotes. I don't have any quotes of my own. I just steal them. That's uh, okay. Robert Frost said, "A poem begins as a lump in the throat." A lump in the throat. And I think that that's that's how most of my songs start. It starts with this some unnameable feeling that you've got. Some you, you like you walk through. Um, like I kind of have to put on my songwriting hat whenever there's a deadline coming, and uh, I begin to move through the world differently than if I was not trying to write for a record, mm-hmm. uh, which is really great. It's a great exercise for discipline. It forces you to pay attention to your day um, because the songs are, it's like following clues. They're, they're mm. all over the place. And you, you don't know until you happen upon it that there's something. Like a lot of people will say, oh, you're a songwriter. I got an idea for a song. Of course. And, and what... What you, ne- you what you don't say to them is actually that's a terrible idea. Exactly. For a song. <laughs> but <laughs> there's no song. Less, right? Like part of the part of the fun of being a songwriter is looking for the valuable little tiny moments. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a pastor, you know that you're always looking for. Okay, what is the thing that the Lord is going to show me today? We were uh, in Colorado last year, this past summer, uh, and staying with a, a family, and we were asking, Hey, is there? Do you guys ever see like you know? bobcats or whatever dangerous stuff bears and uh he was like every now and then he said every time i go out into the woods uh my prayer is lord show me something cool Hmm. and uh that stuck in my head i thought okay that's exactly how i wish i lived every day but it's especially how i live when i'm in songwriting mode i Mm -hmm. I go lord show me something cool help me to find the thing and so uh so once you find the thing you go oh there's there's potential there then you go to the piano or your journal or your guitar and um yeah, if you want to know practically how it works, uh, for me it's y- you. Uh, I have three avenues. There's the journal, and then mm-hmm. there's the piano, and there's a the guitar behind me. Mm-hmm. And I'll play on the guitar and try to find a, a melody for the lyric or some kind of thing to to get me started. Until I'm exhausted, and you know, thirty minutes goes by, and you, you're like, ah, oh, I've only got three Still chords. Mm-hmm. Then you you take what little you found, and you go to the piano and you try it there, and it suggests other things to you. And then once you're exhausted there, you go to the journal and you go, okay, wait, how far in did I get? I, I got an inch deeper into the song this time. Mm-hmm. So you write it all down and then you go to the guitar and try it out. And so you do, I kind of end up doing this like frustrated kind of mad musical chairs kind of thing. And if you're lucky, by the time you go to bed, you've got a verse. Something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the morning you hate it, usually. Do you ever look back on a work and say, I really love that song or I, that one's I kind of live with and tolerate or... 
Yes. Yes. There are certain songs that I, I'm, you, uh, it's, you feel like it's better than you could have done on, on your mm. own, you know? And then other th- songs that, some, the one song people request, I won't say what song it is. They request it at shows and I just say no now. I just don't, <laughs> I just don't want to do it. Can't pull it off. So. Yeah, I guess that's every band's nightmare, the one song they hate. Yeah. Uh, well, as a preacher, and I don't know about others, but I've never preached a sermon I like. Really? I'm always going, oh, why did I say that? I should have done this. I needed more time to study. You know, I didn't help these poor people. What did I do? Did I leave them with hope? Did I make them feel guilty? You know, and you're always, you know, that, that's my own tortured journey. That's is how it, I feel after every interview. Okay. Well, yeah. then we're on track. <laughs> and I think it's because it's more of a fluid thing, whereas a song is something that you like. You start and finish. Well, yeah, and it's the same every time. You you work out exactly well, how you want to present it. Yeah, a and pastor so, friend of mine and I complained about this once ago. Why is it if we use an illustration twice, someone could, you've used that illustration before, but if you've written a song, you can play it over and over and over. People love it. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> it's not fair. That's why I'm glad I'm not a pastor. <laughs> it's not fair. We have to come up with new material every week. Andrew. I can't imagine every it. week. Yeah. Well, it's you know, it's what it is. Play play some things for us. Play some things for us. Um, All right. And and as you're getting ready over there, who who besides Mullins inspires you? What other what other like? Uh, we always want to know what preachers read. What do artists yeah. listen to? Well, from a musical standpoint, I, I uh, James Taylor's a yeah. huge. Like I learned to finger pick listening to his records, and um, and then I love Paul Simon. I love the way he comes at songs. The uh, really surprising way. He gets an idea across. It's, mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me. He's a kind of genius. I love Mark Cohn. He was one of the first huh. writers that I really fell in love with uh, post high school. And then, the, uh, to be honest, m- most of the stuff I listen to is uh, this amazing community of Nashville songwriters: uh, Jill mm-hmm. Phillips and Andy Gullihorn, Ben Scheib, Ellie Holcomb, uh, people like that who are uh, our peers, but just do work that I aspire to yeah. in a huge way. So. Um, yeah, that's that's where. That, but honestly, like most of the, uh, sometimes it's music that inspires me. A lot of times, it's it's books or movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, Stephen King said that um, he he said every writer has a gnome that lives in their basement, <laughs> and uh, and you have to feed your and he passes he passes manuscripts up through the floorboards, you know, <laughs> and that if you don't feed the gnome, he gets angry. And so I I really love feeding the gnome uh, like looking for art and music that's gonna you know lead to something else one of the best little practical bits of songwriting advice I forget where I learned it but was like if you if you can't think of a song to write try to write a Springsteen song go I'm gonna sit down and write a James Taylor song today and and you just completely channel it just rip it off you know okay Uh, and what you end up with is yours it may sound a little bit like theirs but but uh Hopefully yes. not so much so they come after you with lawsuits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but stealing from the masters is a good good thing. So. <laughs> what song would your kids like to hear you play? <laughs> Probably something by somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Probably something by Coldplay or Bone of Air or something, uh, which I can't pull off. I could do I could do one that I wrote for one of my kids. Um, I wrote this for that same that middle son Asher, who's just a, an endless delight to me. He, uh, uh, of the three kids, he's my favorite. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, we, we just, there are certain. Uh, you give a certain part of your heart to each one of your kids, you know. And uh, I, I, I feel like I know the way he thinks a lot of times, which, mm. in a good way and a bad way. And uh, so mm-hmm. I wanted to write a song that would be my 
encouragement to him when he turned 13 last year. So here you go. When I look at you, boy, I can see the road that lies ahead. I can see the love and the sorrow. Bright fields of joy, dark nights awake in a stormy bed. I want to go with you, but I can't follow. So keep to the old roads, keep to the old roads, and you'll find your way. Somebody out there is listening to you, and um, maybe they don't know who this Jesus is. They don't know where they are spiritually. What would you tell them? I would just say that, first of all, he, he loves you more than you could possibly imagine, and uh, that the stories are true. Chances are people have heard stories about uh, the best kind of love being the kind that is willing to die for someone else, and we all suspect that, or at least I, w- I would say that if everybody was honest with themselves, we would want the, the Christian story to be a true one. Mm. Um, and that uh, I just really deeply believe that it is. And I think um, the, 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 uh, the song I mentioned earlier is called Don't You Want to Thank Someone. Um, it's, the, the whole song is kind of an apologetic of gratitude. That uh, Chesterton said that like the worst moment for an atheist is when he realizes... Uh, he has no one to thank, <laughs> that, that, that he's overcome with blessing and he has no one to give thanks to. I think it's a very human impulse to want to say thank you for this when you see a sunset or when you see your child born. Um, it, it, that suggests to me that, uh, that there is a great and beautiful goodness in the world. And, um, and the, the, the truth that, um, that, that we want it to be true that that goodness has a name, is a person, and actually loves you more than you can imagine. I don't know. I, I think I would... Well, my hope is that my music would wake up a kind of longing in people um, and and that, that they would pay attention to that longing, like ask themselves what that longing is pointing to. 
Um, which is, you know, that's the way C.S. Lewis describes his conversion, um, is that, is that, that old German word, Sehnsucht, which means longing or, uh, this deep and kind of painful desire that you have. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure I would wager that everybody has felt that at some point. Everybody knows the feeling of, of something beautiful taking your breath away or, or a, a door opening up to a, a kind of longing for something. Um, and, uh, and I think that the, the journey that we're all on is finding the, the name that that belongs to. Andrew Peterson, thanks for stopping by. Yeah. Thanks for being on the broadcast today. Thanks for having me. Again, thanks for listening to the broadcast. You can find more information at michaelincontext.com. This is Michael Easley in Context.